All right, Exodus chapter 28, we are still in the section of worship. We have seen the ark, we have seen the holy place, we have seen the tabernacle, we have seen the court. What's left to talk about, right? Well, who's going to be in all of these places? Priests are. If we've gone to the trouble of having all this specific detail for where they're going to work, do you think we just willy-nilly let anybody in to do whatever they want? No. Oh, and by, and by the way, before I forget later, good job today on distributing the seats evenly. This makes my life easier. So <laughs> I appreciate that effort. Because last week we had a business meeting and like 25 people were over here and one person was on that side and it was killing me. Yeah, this is, this is marked improvement, so I appreciate it. There you go. You know this is all about my comfort. I've told you this before. If nobody else has fun on a Sunday morning, I do. So there you go. So you're right. We are dealing with the priests. Believe it or not, the work of the priests mattered to Israel. And you're going, well, yeah, I figured that much. The work of the priests matter to you because it helps explain not just the work that they were doing, but the work that the priest is doing. All right, And hopefully we're going to be able to make sense of that as we go through that. The way we are going to do that is going to be the fun part. There will be a pop quiz this morning, you have been warned. No, you were not allowed to study ahead of time. That would take all the fun out of it. Every once in a while, you know, I, mean, I, do, I have a bachelor's degree in social studies education, so every once in a while I have to feed that sadistic quizzing and testing portion of my brain to, from teaching high school kids. So congratulations, you get a pop quiz. The subject, <laughs> the subject will be hermeneutics, all right? How we do this, hopefully on a Sunday-by-Sunday basis, we're accomplishing a couple of things. If you haven't figured out, here, we'll go ahead, let me, I'm off the notes, so I better warn you that I'm off the notes by coming around to this side, so you know that none of this is written down. Hopefully, you're picking up as we go through this that we're doing a couple of things. One, we're explaining Scripture very carefully by trying to read through all of the verses. We don't want to leave anything out because it helps give us context and understanding. Starting with a foundation of context and understanding is a hermeneutical principle. Hermeneutics is the science of reading and understanding a text. So hopefully on a Sunday morning what we're doing is giving you some sort of idea of how to do this. And we're doing it by example mostly and somewhat by explanation. Today will be a little bit more explanation. But the goal of this is not just so that you guys come and learn about your Bibles. I mean, that's part of it. But part of the goal is that you learn how to take apart your Bible. That's why I always laugh. There's a couple of you that'll come and be like, I thought of this in the middle. I'm like, and that's what you said next. I'm like, that's the goal is to get you thinking along and understanding how these things build and put together. It's what we try to do in Sunday school. It's what we try to do here. We do it a little more interactively and slower in Sunday school than we do in here, and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. <laughs> Depends on the week. So you're being warned. Think through not just what the text says, but believe it or not, and today will be a good example of that, how the text says it, because sometimes that communicates just as much. So with that warning given, we're going to continue our pattern because this is, I just, we can just be honest with each other. Some of this material is dry, to say the least. I mean, this is not exciting. This is not, you know, the Israelites taking Jericho or, you know, people marching into battle or Jesus healing people. This is descriptions and, you know, it, it's technical material in that it feels like you're reading your VCR instructions from 1987. It is. It's very much like Numbers and Leviticus would be the same thing. So rather than torture us by reading it twice like we normally would, we'll just read it all, go through the first time and explain it as we go through. Sound good? 
All right, so let's dive in with verse number one. It always is. I don't know many things, but the chapter starts at verse one. Then bring near to yourself Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priests to me, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. Now, this is, be, this is, oh, no, no, go back. Oh, just verse one, we're camping for a minute. See, pop quiz for the person in the back, too. Get to pick on them also. This has been coming for a while because this is how God has been working since Moses was called. If you rewind in your Bible all the way to Exodus chapter 4. The anger of the Lord burned against Moses and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently and moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him. Put words in his mouth, and I, even I, will be your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people, and he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as God to him. You shall take in your hand the staff, which you will perform these signs. Remember, uh, Moses had how many excuses? All of them. If there was an excuse to be had why Moses could not go and get the people out of Egypt... He had it. That's why I said Moses had all the excuses, and God undid every single one of them. The last one being, I can't go speak to people. Which, you know, if you give Moses a little bit of credit from a human point of view, that's a pretty good excuse. I mean, I've been living as a hermit out here in the wilderness for 40 years, raising a family. I mean, you want me to go speak to people for a living? Because let's be honest, even to this day, you know what the two number one fears of all of humanity are, right? Death and public speaking. And do you know which one's number one? Public speaking. <laughs> Most of you would rather die than do what I'm doing right now. That's why I understand I'm the weirdo. So this has been coming from a while. Here's your pop quiz. Who is going to be the high priest of Israel here? All right, so go ahead. Aaron. Now here's going to be the really fun part. How do you know that? Not necessarily. Does it say it explicitly? It says it implicitly. It's an implied, uh, implied thing. How is it implied? This is one of those things you should look for in your Bible, by the way. This is, one of your, this is your hermeneutics pop quiz. How do you know, based on this one verse, that Aaron will be the high priest? Bring, notice the repeated word. Bring near to yourself Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priests before me. Aaron. Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. How many times are you going to tell me whose kids they are? <laughs> How many times are you going to mention that Aaron needs to be included in this? Great example of this is um, Genesis 5. Part of the lesson that you get out of Genesis 5. Well, there's a reason he thinks that. There you go. So if you read the genealogy of Genesis 5, which you're industrious people, you will read the genealogy of Genesis 5 because I've mentioned it, right? That's how this works. So-and-so lived X number of years and he died. So-and-so had other sons and daughters. He lived X number of years and he died. And so-and-so lived X number of years and he had sons and daughters and he died. What's the recurring theme here? And he died. It's a reminder of death. You want another great example of this? Go read the book of Daniel. It's hysterical when you see the interactions between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar the king. Do you know why I call him Nebuchadnezzar the king? Because the entirety of the book of Daniel calls him Nebuchadnezzar the king. Every 
five words. And Daniel went before Nebuchadnezzar the king. And Nebuchadnezzar the king said to Daniel and commanded him. And Daniel spoke to Nebuchadnezzar the king. He's like, I get it. The man is Nebuchadnezzar the king. What's the point? Well, what's the point of Daniel? That who is really king? It's not Nebuchadnezzar the king. It is God the king. It's a setup. You're being instructed by the repeated phrase. Sometimes Hebrew, especially in your Old Testament, especially your Old Testament because it's written in Hebrew, let me say that correctly, is very good at this because Hebrew does this, but Hebrew doesn't do it just for fun. Sometimes Hebrew does it for effect. And this is just one of those things. If you're told the same thing three and four times, what should you're not four, okay? So when, you're, when your parents told you the same thing four times, you did what? You ignored them, just like your children ignore you, and it's okay, we all understand this. But when God repeats the same things three and four times, you as adults, smart, mature, intelligent people should do what? It should be like little light bulbs going off the back of your going, you know, I might want to pay attention to this. So there is a high priest who has been set apart. It is Aaron, the brother of Moses. That will become important later on. So take that information, put it in the, in the you're, ready, you're ready, who wants to feel real old? All right, you ready? File that away in the Rolodex in the back. When was the last time you saw, saw a Rolodex? See, see and, and you now feel very old, don't you? Because your kids will look at you and go, what is this? Do you, do you fan yourself with it as you spin it? And you go, yes, that's what we did. <laughs> there you go. So, all right. All right. Verse 2. We'll keep going for this one for two verses here. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that they may minister as priest to me. All right, so we have garments set apart for the priest. We also have another bit of new information that we have not seen before. All this ornate building, careful measuring, cutting and constructing, who's doing it? Well, see, that's what you've been thinking, but who's going to build the tabernacle? God's not coming down from on high and going, take this two by four here. The Israelites were going to have to build this. Let's, let's be honest. Moses comes down from the mountain, face shining, tablets in hand, and says, all right, here's what we're going to do. God has shown me the tabernacle, and we are going to build it according to his instructions, and it's going to look exactly like what he showed me. Who wants to help? Yeah, see, you're all making that face because you're like, not it. Greatest game of not it in all of history because a couple thousand people went, not me, and they all hid. Nobody wants that job because you're not crazy because you know what happens when you don't do the thing that God told you to do the exact way that God told you to do it because you just came out of Israel, you just came out of Egypt and you saw what happens to the people that don't do what God told them to do the way that God told them to do it. Here you go. You shall speak to all the skillful persons whom I have endowed with the spirit of wisdom that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. God, knowing that he is giving them a basically impossible task, is going to do what? Empower the people to accomplish it. This is important because there is nothing new under the sun. So take this little bit of information and put this in your Rolodex as well, okay? We'll probably come back to it later. These are the garments which they shall make, a breastpiece and an ephod, and a robe and a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister as priests to me. They shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen. All right, before we really dive into this, go back to verse 4. <clears> this <throat> has been in here three times. There you go. Make sure it's actually on the screen. Before we dive into this too much, I want you to catch something, because this will be important later on also. 
Who is this priest for? Yeah, did you catch that? He shall minister as priest to me. Now, when I tell you there's a priest, who's your first assumption the priest would be for? So you assume it's for the people, right? To minister for their offerings, to make sacrifices on their behalf. Oh, contraire, mon frère. This priest is not for the people. This is a priest of God. Don't ask me where that came from. We will never do that again. <laughs> yes, we will. We must always bring out the bad French accent. That is how this will work whenever we need a comic relief. <laughs> Again, don't ask me. This is what happens when the wrong voices are in charge for a few minutes, so we'll be all right. This is a priest ordained by God for the service of God to the work of God. You Israelites are along for the ride. This is a work primarily in starting point for God. This should teach Israel something. It should teach them something about their mindset and where they're looking. And I don't mean in a literal sense, I mean in a figurative sense. Things like Colossians. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. See, this is why, this is why I've been reading. Have, have you noticed a theme to what we've been reading for the Bible verse before the prayer on Sunday mornings? Has anybody picked up on that yet? Mm. <laughs> That's a no. You want to? I, this is what, when I whenever whenever we. There we go. Sorry. So every once in a while you got to reset because the words are traveling fast, faster than the brain. Whenever we have like vacation Bible school or I'm teaching the kids and the kids are stumped on it, you know what I always ask them? Do you want to stump the adults? Because there's always a couple of adults filtered around and then we'll ask the adults. So let's ask the person in the back. Have you noticed a pattern to the Bible verse we've been reading on Sunday morning yet? It's Psalm 119. Why? Because Psalm 119 gloriously celebrates God in giving Scripture and primarily in giving the law. And we as good evangelical Christians in the, what is it, the 21st century? Is that, is that where we are? I feel like duck dodgers suddenly. We're in the 24th and a half century. We like to forget the law and forsake it because we have grace, and yes, we do, but we also still have commandment. We can learn things from the law that God has given, and we are called by the work of Christ and the continuing work of the Holy Spirit to walk in faithfulness to who God is and what he has called us to do. That starts with understanding it rightly and realizing that it calls us to something higher than ourselves. This is why we talked about last week, Paul says in Romans, you don't just get to you know, be redeemed and then live however you want. May it never be. You are actually called to walk in something higher. That begins with the focus of your life. What changes your actions? See if you guys remember our formula. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit changes your actions, but how does he change your actions? See, there it is. If I want to change what you do, I first have to change what you think. And then before I can change what you think, I have to change what you want. Yeah. By changing what you want, you will change how you think about the world. And when you change about how you think about the world, you will change how you live in the world. The Holy Spirit's primary work is changing the heart and mind through changing of your desires. Removing a fleshly stone heart and putting in one that is oriented towards God. Renewing your mind to think about better, higher things. 
the change is not in how the world is and not in what the things that the world offers. The change is in what you seek to gain from the world. That's the change that the Holy Spirit brings about. That starts here. This is part of this lesson. This priest is not about you. This is about God. This is why the great high priest could say what in Luke 22? Withdrawing from about a stone's throw, he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And that's a legitimate question. I mean, look, you're facing the wrath of God poured out against sin. If there's another way to redeem people, would you like to take it? Yes, so would I. Death or public speaking? I'll take public speaking. (laughs) Anything other than the wrath of God poured out against sin. There's no other way but the wrath of God poured out against sin. Okay, here we go. Because it's about what? It's about God and what he has ordained and how he has planned. So, they shall also make the ephod of, okay, just know this now. It's an ephod, but I'm going to get quick and call it an ephod about 12 times. So, it's an Elmer Fudd joke if you want to make it there. So, they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, the work of a skillful workman. It shall have two shoulder pieces joined on its two ends that it may be joined. The skillfully woven band which is on it shall be like its workmanship of the same material of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. That's going to look cool. And it's supposed to. It's supposed to be a... I mean, who else is walking around wearing that? Nobody else is crazy enough to put that on, right? That's intentional. When the priest puts on his garments for work and walks through the camp, who knows it? Everybody. Everybody. And that's the intent here. It's supposed to stand out. He's being marked. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone and names of the remaining six on the other stone according to their birth. Now, this priest is a priest of God. He is there to work for God, to make offering to God. But he is still doing it secondarily on behalf of the people. This is that reminder. And always remember this. Why are they a people? See, see, they're God's people. See, this is the mistake that the Pharisees are going to make when you get your New Testament. I feel like I'm, I'm going to get my aerobics in today, aren't I? I'm doing this an awful lot. This is the mistake the Pharisees are going to make when they get to the New Testament and the mistake that a lot of humanity still tries to make. Israel is not Israel because they're descended from Abraham. Israel is Israel because they are faithfully following after and seeking to live for God. So, if you'd like an example from what we've been doing in men's Bible study and what we've been doing in Sunday school, Saul is of the tribe of Benjamin. It's one of the sons of Jacob. David is of the the tribe of Judah. It's one of the sons of Jacob. They are both Israelites, children of Abraham by birth. Are they both equal in the eyes of God? No. One was a king of judgment. One was a king of salvation. One went out of his way seemingly to get everything wrong, never repent, never apologize, and continue bullheadedly to run headlong into his sin. One, while he was not a perfect man, when confronted with his sin, wrongdoing, and iniquity, repented and trusted in God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness. There's a difference. One of them was an Israelite, and it was David. Not because of who he was born to, but because of why he was able to stand in the face of the enemy. Not his enemies, the enemy. 
And our great enemy, always remember, is your sin, first and foremost. My enemy is my sin, your enemy is your sin, and that's always the case. They are the people of God because God has redeemed them, has commanded them, and is upholding them. Romans chapter 8. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. See, if I was doing bad hermeneutics today, we'd stop right there, get the coffee mug out and go, because you know how I feel about the coffee cup verses, right? So we're going to have content. Keep reading. For those whom he knew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Why? So that he, the son, would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he called. And these whom he called, he justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, Christ's work was not just about Jesus climbing out of the tomb, ascending to the right hand of the Father, and being, we're done here. No. How's, if you grew up in church, and open the life gates, that all may go in, right? Praise the Lord. I won't hit the high note on you. I won't do that to you. <laughs> I'll you. You can ask Cameron to hit the high note later. She can actually hit that note. I cannot. No pressure. <laughs> Get the thumbs up. No, it was about Christ ushering in a nation, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It was always about, always about building, not just, you know, a couple here and there, but the people of God, too numerous to count, the great multitude of Revelation 7. That's what this work was about. You're seeing it here. This priest, this one man selected out of Israel to go and stand before God, doesn't do it just because he's all spanky and cool. He does it because he's there on behalf of his brethren. James 1, every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. What's first fruits about? It's an agricultural reference. It's that first little bit of produce. Do you take and be like, all right, we're done here. Good, look at the harvest. It was great. No, you celebrate it because what does it mean? This plant's alive and it's producing and it's going to do what? Produce so much more. That's what that first generation understood about themselves. The people of God called to do the work of God. So let's continue. As a jeweler engraves a signet, you shall engrave the two stones according to the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in filigree settings of gold. I had to look up what filigree is, and I'm still not entirely sure I understand it, so you'll have to Google that. It has something to do with how you hammer it and set it in, so you can see that I am, I am adorned in jewelry, you know. I, I am the king of bling, right? You're allowed to laugh at that, it's Okay. I've, I've worn the same watch for 20 years, you know, I have a wedding ring, that's about the extent of it, so Google it, but in a nutshell, this is complicated, you have to, this is work, I mean, I had a friend of mine who used to do uh, jewelry repair, and he wore his glasses, and then he had these magnifying things that stuck out to about here, so you can actually see what he's doing, imagine trying to do this out in the middle of the desert, these guys were gifted, so... You'll set them in filigree settings of gold. You shall put the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of memorial for the sons of Israel, and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for a memorial. You shall make filigree settings of gold and two chains of pure gold. You shall make them of twisted cordage work and shall put the, put the corded chains, you say that three times fast, on the filigree settings. Right. I'm going to focus in on one word that was repeated twice, a memorial. 
Memorial here would be important for two beings, and I'm using that language intentionally because they're the only two that are actually involved. The priest needs this memorial. He needs to remember that as he puts this ephod on, that there are two stones representing who? Israel, because he stands in the presence of God on behalf of who? Israel. He needs to be reminded of the work that he is doing. Hebrews 12. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, if you know anything about the history of Israel, they received the laws, they went into the land, they were faithful, they offered sacrifice, and the nations around them marveled at the wondrous works of Yahweh because of the faithfulness and blessings upon this people, right? Is that how the story goes? They're there for like 20 minutes and they get it wrong and God takes his belt off and spanks them and they're there for another 20 minutes and they get it wrong. The history of Israel, as as Moses puts it, they are a stubborn and stiff-necked people. And that's intentionally because you know what? Welcome to humanity. Congratulations, welcome to the planet. This is how this works. If you are the priest... In the midst of this sinful people, what's going to be your greatest temptation? I'm not going into that sanctuary to offer sacrifice. Have you met these people? I mean, how many times have you justified your anger? How many times have you justified your hatred? Have you seen how they acted? Did you see what they did? Did you watch the news this week and hate somebody? I guarantee you did if you watched the news for 10 minutes. You hated somebody in this country. You hated somebody in Australia. You maybe hated somebody, I don't know, in a little place in the world called Afghanistan this week. Just quite possible you looked at somebody and went, no, that is not a human being. If you're a priest living amongst this people, the first temptation you're going to have is, (laughs) no. Now whose heart is wrong? Mine. No, I work for God. And I represent this people even when this people does not deserve it. Notice who Hebrews 12 is talking about. It's not talking about that high priest. It's talking about the high priest that he's pointing to. The high priest. Talking about Christ. Because let's be honest. Christ died for sinners. Good people, right? Wonderful, loving, caring people that were yelling, Crucify him! despising the shame, focused upon God. Christian, welcome to your walk in the world. Welcome to what we get wrong about this place so very often. Is We know it's not true, but we let that prosperity thinking get into our brain and be like, look, look, you've said this. You've said it at least once. God, I did everything good this week. Why? The answer is because you forgot how broken and busted this place is. Always remember, Genesis 6. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. He said that before the flood, and then he judged them in the flood, and then you know what he said after the flood? The exact same thing. See, this is one of those... You ever have that moment where something hits you like a ton of bricks and, you, and it just changes the way you think about stuff? I had one of those a while back. Because something I'd never considered and thought of that somebody said. It's like, why does nobody ever get out of hell? Like, do you think at some point, because you're sitting here going, they're in judgment, in hell. At some point you'd do what? God, I'm sorry. 
they don't ever get out because they don't ever stop sinning. Because they sit there and be like, I can't believe you put me here. I can't believe you judged me like this. I can't believe you continue to do... (laughs) That's why they never get out. It never crosses their mind. Not even once. That's an astounding realization about how broken humanity is in the world that we live in. This is why a high priest has to be reminded that you're doing this work on behalf of them. It's a memorial so that you don't forget when you go into your work, you bear the name of God, you do the work of God on behalf of the people who hate you most of the time. Christian, welcome to the planet. You walk out there and you bear the name of Christ into a world that hates you for no other reason than they hate the one who redeemed you. And you know what you got to do? Go out there and serve God anyway. And keep it faithful. Now, that's the one being. Who's the other being that this memorial is for? Come on, the way I said it should be your hint. It's God. Exodus 25. You shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you. See, who's supposed to look in the ark after they close it up? Nobody. Nobody. Remember, that's when the Nazis melt, because that's what they got wrong. We're always going to make that reference, just so you know. We're always going to make that reference. Never going to not make that reference. So who knows what's in the ark? God does. The the testimony of the ark is a testimony on behalf of and for God. Ezekiel 16. You know it's a good week when we get an Ezekiel reference. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, so that you may remember and be ashamed, and never open your mouth anymore because of your your humiliation. When I have forgiven you for all that you have done, this is what the Lord declares. God knows. God sees. He has not forgotten. And yet he does what for his people anyway? He redeems them. He offers them mercy and grace because of the work of Christ. Not because they are good, but because he is good. Not so that they will glory, but because he is in glory. So, you shall make a breastpiece of judgment, the work of a skillful workman, like the work of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. You shall make it. It shall be square and fold double, a span in length and a span in width. You shall mount on it four rows of stones. The first row shall be a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald. By the way, Just a quick little aside. I'm going to read these. Don't put too much into this. The NASB translates these as specific stones. At the end of the day, we really don't know exactly what they are. So they're different words, so we know that they're different stones, but this is all educated guess. Just letting you know. A second row of turquoise and sapphire and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth. I don't even know what that is. And a gate and an amethyst. I know what an amethyst is. Anybody know what an agate is? You got... Agate. See, I don't even, I read English. There, you know, well, I know what a gate is. Okay, what's an agate? Okay, see, there you go. If I really, really cared, I'd check and look it up, but I don't, so there you go. But it's, every once in a while it catches you. A fourth row of a, a barrel and an onyx and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. The stone shall be according to the names of the sons of Israel. Twelve, according to their names, they shall be like the engravings of a seal, each according to his name for the twelve tribes. Not a, like burk, burk, clap, clap seal, but like a, a seal on a letter that you put in wax, just in case you were wondering. Like suddenly you're picturing dolphins or something doing tricks at SeaWorld. once again these are the thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools 
See, I live with two hyper-literal children. One of them would have looked at me and goes, why is there a seal? <laughs> so I sometimes think of these things. Now, what, didn't we just cover how we're bearing the names of Israel? Now we're doing what? We're running down the breast piece all the names of Israel. We're doing it again. Why? Remember what the priest is doing there, both literally and figuratively. Exodus 14. The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. We covered this when we went through Exodus 14. The Israelites get to the edge of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is in hot pursuit with Pharaoh and all his chariots. And it's like, we're all going to die. Now what? And they cry out to Moses, Moses, you let us out here so we could die because there's no graves in Israel. And Moses says, wait, God's going to do something. God, what are you going to do? And God says, why are you asking me? Start walking. I mean, that's, that's the uh, Reader's Digest summary. It is. It's close enough. What happens? Red Sea parts. But what keeps Pharaoh from killing Israel until the sea is parted by the, by the wind that blows all night? The, the cloud. Not just the cloud, though. This is something we've always... Oh, I never think like this, and we need to. You need to get this into your head because this is how your Bible explains this. We remember the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. We forget the angel of the Lord leading the people. Christ, the pre-incarnate uh, vision of Christ leading the people. When they are stopped at the sea, it is the angel of the Lord as well as the pillar in the darkness that stand and separate Egypt from Israel. Christ stands in the gap on behalf of his people. Welcome to what the priest is representing. The work of the high priest here is pointing to the work of the high priest in heaven. What separates you from judgment? Christ. What separates you from the power of sin? Christ. What separates you from the desires of this world? Christ. He stands in the gap on behalf of his people. That's what this priest is having to do. That's again, in case you look down at your shoulders and forget, well, while you were doing this number, you know what you saw? All these stones to remind you what? That I'm doing this work for God, on behalf of, I stand here not just for me, but for them. Firstborn among many brethren. The work of the high priest, the work of the priesthood throughout Israel helps explain the work that Christ is doing, not just the what, but the how and what it accomplishes. So let's continue. You shall make on the breastpiece chains of twisted cordage work in pure gold. You shall make on the breastpiece two rings of gold and shall put the two rings on the two ends of the breastpiece. You shall put the two cords of gold on the two rings at the ends of the breastpiece. You shall put the other two ends of the two cords on the two filigree settings and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front of it. You shall make two gold, two rings of gold, and shall place them on the two ends of the breastpiece, on the edge of it, which is toward the inner side of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them on the bottom of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod, and on the front of it, close to the place where it is joined above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. 
Welcome to why God had to empower somebody. Again, who is signing up to do this? My eyes are going cross just trying to imagine this. They shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord so that it will be on the skillfully woven band of the ephod and that the breastpiece will not come loose from the ephod. Okay, I got it. In other words, the breastpiece has now been attached and it is attached permanently. Believe it or not, that's all we're going to say about that because it's pointing to something that's more important and we're going to get to that in verse 29. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment over his heart when he enters the holy place for a memorial, for a memorial before the Lord continually. In case you've missed the point as we've made it two previous times, God is teaching you something about how he works and how his people are working. Fancy theological term, right? Typology. We, um, we've talked about this a hundred times if we've talked about it once. In your Bible, there are what we call types. Um, a less technical term would be a shadow. So what does your shadow do? It, it, and so when I do this, what is my shadow? Do I have a shadow? Here, it's down here. Here we go. Got to figure out where the light is on me. So when I put my arm out, my shadow does what? He puts his arm out. Why? Because all he does is what I do. Does he do it as well as I do it? Yes. No, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Because there's less detail in my shadow. There's less understanding with what my shadow is doing. If you don't believe me, play that game where you take the flashlight and you do the little finger puppet, right? And you try to guess what it is. And you're sitting there going, how do you not understand that that's the Battle of Waterloo? And they're looking at you going, huh? Just make sure you're still awake and here with me. Why is that game so weird? Because it's a shadow of the thing. It's not as good. It's harder to do. Charades are easier to figure out than shadow puppets, right? Because you get more of you involved. A shadow is a picture in part because it is not a full picture. It is not a complete picture. It's, it's fuzzy. It's hazy. And throughout your Old Testament, you get shadows of the work of Christ and the accomplishments of God. The high priest here is a shadow, a picture. Again, the technical term is a type of the work of Christ. Aaron, as the high priest, is the intermediary for the people to God in order that he may advocate on their behalf. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment over his heart when he enters the holy place for a, for a memorial before the Lord continually. The high priest's job is to carry their work, to carry their concern, to carry their sin before the people so that he may advocate on their behalf. Hmm, I wonder if there's a New Testament verse that explains this more thoroughly. 1 John chapter 2. My children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. See, I always have to explain this because I, I, I know I define this word every time we do it, but propitiation, big fancy word that means to turn away wrath. So when someone got mad at you and they're going to smack you because they are mad at you and they reach back to smack you and they swing and you grab their hand, your hand has been the propitiation. It has turned away the wrath. It has stopped the wrath in its place, providing they don't have another hand. But 
I'll let you figure that out later. This is what Christ does. Christ, by standing in the gap on our behalf, absorbs the judgment of God for us. The punishment due to us, he receives. The righteousness that he has earned, he then grants to us. We call that the great exchange in theology. Our sin on him, his righteousness on us. He, turns, he therefore turns away the wrath of the Father. He is our propitiation. He is our advocate. This is what the priest is supposed to do. He is supposed to stand in the gap on behalf of the people so that they will not be judged. How good is he at this job? He's terrible. He's terrible. You know how I know that? Nope. Jesus is real good at his job. People still end up in hell. If I hire you to build a deck, and you come out and build me a deck, all right, and I walk out on my deck, and it's nice, and I stomp around, and it looks pretty good, and I go back in the house. And a month later, I go back out on my deck, and I fall through the bottom of it. Well, that's not good, is it? So I call you up and bring you back out, and you build me another deck. And I stomp around and look at it. All right, go back in the house. And a month later, I fall through the bottom of it. Let's just say I'm a complete nitwit, and I call you again, and you come out and you build this deck, and look at it, it's getting pretty good, I'm getting better at checking for your mistakes, and all right, go back in the house, and a month later, I fall through the bottom of it. All right, besides me being a complete idiot, are you any good at your job? No. No. How do I know you're no good at the job? Because you have to keep doing it. Day after day, year after year, the priest has to do what? Offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. A sacrifice that can never take away sin. They're a picture. They're a type. And they're a fuzzy picture. Because they can't do the work. Why? Because that sacrifice isn't good. Because that priest isn't good. Yes, I can turn away the wrath of God. But what can I give you? I can walk out and say, hey, we offered the lamb today. Let's go team. You know what we're going to do tomorrow? We're going to offer another lamb. And then tomorrow after that, we're going to offer another lamb. Because I can't make you good. Because I'm not good. This is the lesson we teach teachers. Yeah, we're supposed to teach teachers, believe it or not. I can't take you someplace I haven't been. So I can't teach you something I don't understand. This is why I don't teach physics. I know just enough to be dangerous. I don't try to teach physics, because I don't know it, and therefore it would be a bad thing for me to try to explain it to you. I can do some theology now, because I've studied. I've gone somewhere so that I can then bring you along. That priest can't take you to where you are good. Why not? Because he's never been good. This is what separates him as a high priest from Christ, who is the high priest. And you shall put in the breastpiece of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart. That's just fun to say, Thummim. And then, when, when, I'm sorry, they'll be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord, and Aaron shall carry the judgment of the sons of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. All right. Reality check. We have no idea why and how those things work. We're not even entirely sure exactly what they are. I mean, it's just, just so, so there you go. That's... We're going to leave it right there. But we do know what they mean. They mean authority. They're supposed to grant the priest the ability to make a judgment based on the will and word of God. He becomes someone with authority. Why? 
because that priest who has done the work to stand in the gap, to make offering on behalf of the people, to be their advocate, to do all of these things for God, for God's people, is supposed to be able to then understand this work and teach them, instruct them, disciple them so that they may know and walk in a better way. It's also because, let's, let's also ask this. If I picked you up and we got, we got into the uh, DeLorean and we went 88 miles an hour and and if you don't have any idea what I just said, for shame, watch better 80s movies. There you go. And I dropped you off in 1229 BC in the middle of some desert kingdom somewhere, all right? Doesn't matter where it is. Group of people come along. Oh, look at them. Bunch of people all dressed the same. But there's one guy in the group. He's got a big old hat on. And he's got purple robes and these gold markings on him. Who is he? No, you wouldn't call him a priest in that world. What would you assume he is amongst those people? He's in charge. He's king. How do I know that? Because that's how kings dress. He gets the purple and the red and the gold and the sash and the big old hat and the whole nine yards. What's this priest look like? He gets authority. He gets to make decisions. He gets to pronounce judgments. That's the work of a king. Who's king in Israel? God is. That's why that judgment in the end of book of Judges is so damaging to Israel. Because it says there was no king in Israel in those days, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There is a king in Israel in those days, and his name is Yahweh. And you don't get to do what was right in your own eyes, because there's an Exodus, and a Leviticus, and a Numbers, and a Genesis, and a Deuteronomy. You're supposed to know these things and live a better way. Christian, this matters. The ruler of this world has been judged already. He has been defeated by Christ. You have been granted righteousness. You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. You have been given all of these things. Why? So that you would walk differently because you know better. And look, I get it. The pull is hard. The world is difficult. But the authority in this world is not me. It is not my desires. It is not my sin. It is Christ. Matthew the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Because Christ, as the high priest, is the authority. He is the one who makes and pronounces judgment. We just do what? Follow in line. Welcome to what Israel is supposed to do. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. There shall be an opening at the top in the middle of it, and around its opening there shall be a binding of woven, woven work like the opening of a coat of mail, so that it will not be torn. You shall make on its hem pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material all around on its hem, and bells of gold between them all around, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate all around on the hem of the robe. It shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its tinkling shall be heard when he enters and leaves the holy place before the Lord, so that he will not die. All right, random question. Those bells saving Aaron... Like, if Aaron's walking around the camp, he's like, ooh, oh, this is the big one, Ethel. Does he get to start shaking the bells and he won't die? There, there's a visual for you right there. I mean, don't ask me where this comes from. 
How else do you shake bells in the hem of a garment, right? I've never worn a skirt, so I don't know how that works. If you've ever worn a skirt and you know how that works, you can explain it to me later. You should take comfort in the fact, I think, that I've never worn a skirt. <laughs> this is, aren't you comforted now just a little bit? <laughs> no. Are the bells the thing that save Aaron? No. Who saves Aaron? The bells are a reminder of what? That God saves Aaron. So this is where you get your Malachi, chapter 3. I will draw near in judgment, and I will be, be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress, the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O sons of Jacob, you are not consumed. In other words, Israel, trust in God. Trust in his promises. Christian, trust in God. Trust in his promises. The bells don't save. God saves. The bells are a reminder to Aaron. Who's he working for? Who's he working on behalf of? The people. And we've got things to do. You shall, make a, you shall also make a plate of pure gold and shall engrave on it like the engravings of a seal, holy to the Lord. Again, not bark, bark, clap, clap, but you know, like seal, seal. You shall fasten it on the cord of blue, and it shall be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and shall take away the iniquity of the holy things which the sons of Israel consecrate with regard to all their holy gifts, and it shall always be on his forehead that it may be accepted before the Lord. You get this. The priest stands on behalf of the people. Are their gifts any good? This is one of those great things I always like to tell people. You ever said out loud, I don't like to pray in public because my prayers are no good. Have you ever said that? Oh, you haven't? Congratulations. You thought it. It's okay. <laughs> and then you always have that one person at church or that one person growing up. You're like, I like when they pray because their prayers are so good. You know what? Their prayers are terrible too. They're just as bad as yours. They're probably worse. Because if they come from the heart in Christ, they come from Christ. There's the difference. My prayers are terrible. My teaching is terrible. God is good. His word is good. And as long as what I teach is based on scripture, then it'll be good. The minute it's based on anything else, you get my nitwittery. It's me and the other voices in my head. And don't, nobody want to hear that. You want to hear what God has to say. You want to understand who he is and what he has done. That includes Israel. They're the gifts for the working of the tabernacle. You mean those worthless things? What do you mean worthless, worthless things? Worthless things like silver and gold? Yeah worthless things because at the end of the day what do they matter you are not redeemed with perishable things like gold that's refined in the fire but the precious blood of the lamb in the grand scheme of life things of this world are supposed to grow strangely dim because christ and his glory are supposed to shine in your heart and in your mind you shall weave the tunic of checkered work of fine linen and shall make a turban of fine linen, and shall make a sash, the work of a weaver. For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics, and you shall also make sashes for them, and you shall make caps for them, for glory and for beauty. You shall put them on Aaron your brother, and on his sons with him, and you shall anoint them, and ordain them, and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen breeches to cover their bare flesh. Need to be southern right there, because if you're a good southerner, you know what a breech is, don't you? Go, 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 go put your breeches on. <laughs> You think I'm kidding. Just lost my place. 
They shall reach from the loins even to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they enter the tent of meeting or when they approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they may not incur guilt and die. I always like this because basically, put your pants on so that you don't die. If you told your children that, you wouldn't have them running around naked, would you? It's pants or death, those are your options. And in my house, sometimes you have to make that threat. Sorry, I know you didn't ask, but why though? Why is that a big deal? Seriously, we're laughing. Why, why is Aaron going to die if he won't put his underwear on properly? What's nakedness? Why is naked shame, nakedness shameful? When did it become shameful? Isn't, isn't this what the 1960s nudists tried to teach us? The human body is a beautiful, glorious thing. And, it, you know, it's... It... See? They saw they were naked and ashamed. They were ashamed. Because it's a reminder of sin. I'm naked. I'm uncovered. Before that, they were covered. They were still naked, but they were covered. They were covered by God. Now I'm no longer covered by God, and I am naked. How do I cure that, Christian? Do I bake better clothes? No. I need to be covered by God. I did not excuse you, by the way, to go run around Walmart naked, okay? Just, just in case you had that idea for a second. Didn't, your pastor did not give you an excuse to run around naked at Walmart. Still put your clothes on, but more importantly, clothe yourself with Christ. As Corinthians would tell you, put on the new man, because that's what matters. And that's what's being reminded. Look, everything about this high priest is a reminder that Christ's work is sufficient and supreme. And that's why it finishes it out. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. Because the priests are eternal? No. Because their work is eternal? No. Hebrews chapter 10. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. See, and that's the punchline of what's going on here. That's what all of this work with the tabernacle and with the courtyard and with the ministry and with the ark and with the priests is all about. It's trying to get you past this world to the kingdom that is to come. And the only access point you have for that is Christ. That's why the Hebrews work, the work of Hebrews chapter 4 is so important. Since we have a great high priest, not this guy, but an actual good one, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, everything about that high priest, how he wears his pants, how he puts on the ephod, what the ephod is supposed to represent, where he puts on his hat, how he wears it, the work that he does is not about him. It's about pointing to the one who will fulfill all these things. Because look, there's going to come a day when every good priest in Israel is going to walk into that tabernacle and go, I cannot kill another lamb for these people. They don't deserve it. And it's not about him. And it's not about them. It's about God. And it's about the work of God on behalf of people that do not deserve it and do not deserve him. 
And that is why he walked among us. It's not just so that he can sit there and go, guys, I know how you feel. Guys, I know what you're going through. It's so that he can sit there and say, I saw how you lived. I saw what you loved. I saw your sin. And grace is open anyway. That's what this is about. It is about a faithful God for a faithless people. And that's a comfort, Christian, because how often are you faithful? And how often are you faithless? Because if we're honest, it's probably not as much for the good as we would like. And yet we can be reminded that Christ is good and his mercy covers and that God is not shocked because he has been dealing with this and pointing to the work of Christ from the beginning. So we can trust in his plan and we can trust in his faithfulness and we can trust in what he has given to us. Because remember when I pointed out how he had to empower those workers and I told you to file that away because who wants to sign up for this job? Christian, who wants to sign up for perfection? How you doing? How you feeling today? You feeling like you signed up for a good job? You doing a good work? That's why you're given a Holy Spirit. And that's why you're strengthened because you can't. I can't, but he can and kicking and screaming and punting us in the rear end sometimes all along the way. You know, nope, keep going, keep going. You got it, keep going. Because that's some days what it feels like. God will accomplish the work that he has begun by his grace and by his power because in Christ we are his children. Did you always like what your parents did for you? No. Was it more often than not good for you? Your kids always like what you did for them? More often than not, was it was you trying to do something good for them? Now imagine if you were a perfect parent. Welcome to God. We don't like it, but it's good for us. We don't appreciate it, but it's what we need. And the call of the Christian is to walk faithfully, to trust in what he is doing, to trust in what he is building, to trust in him by keeping our eyes focused upon him and knowing that his work is good, that sin will be put down, and that the kingdom will come. Let's pray.